0: They buried me in the water and I came I knew <laughs> Now I'm baptized in blue I'm a fighter, i never quit I refuse to lose I got heart and I got greedy I'm a warrior Just been baptized in blue I'm a warrior that been baptized in blue I'm a fighter
1: Blue. What's up, Sheepdog? Welcome to the Changing the Culture podcast. That was my boy at One Time Music. Go look him up on all the socials, Instagram. You can go find all of his music. That song is called Baptized in Blue. You're going to be able to listen to that at the end of this podcast episode. I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you enjoy One Time's music. He's a fellow police officer. He's the man. I love this guy. Go listen to his shit. Welcome to this week's podcast episode. I'm excited for you to meet. His name is Nick. He is a podcast host of the Roll Call Room podcast. Go uh, check that podcast out. This episode's all going to be about how he was a sergeant tried to commit suicide. He failed. Some other things happened. He ended up, um, he's out of the job now doing his podcast full time and you are going to have um, this is going to be one of our longer podcast episodes, um, but you're gonna this this episode's really good and um, very relatable for very, very many um, unfortunately first responders. I hope that you enjoy. In the show notes, you're going to be able to get Nick's book. He just put out a book. Um, let's make sure that we support him. Enjoy.
2: Hey everyone, uh, my name is Nick. I am uh, one of the hosts of the Roll Call Room podcast, a law enforcement podcast uh, devoted to mental health. Uh, for law enforcement and first responders. Um, I'm also um, recently an author of a book, it's about to come out finally, uh, called Police Mental Barricade, a survivor's guide to poor law enforcement leadership. Uh, And my focus and uh, real devotion is mental health for first responders, which is something that uh, really, really is uh, brought to the forefront fairly recently.
1: Which is why you're a perfect fit for this podcast because we're all about changing the culture. So, Nick, how did tell tell us a little bit about like what's your story?
2: So, um, I was with a law enforcement agency uh, in Virginia. Um, I held a uh, position of sergeant for uh, seven years. Um, my last year as a sergeant was probably one of the most mentally tough. Um, I had a I had an officer who um, was diagnosed with cancer um and um passed away unfortunately um, I was there I'm um, so sorry yeah it was probably one of the the toughest things but um then right after that came um some really really poor leadership uh decisions within my department uh specifically working for a very very toxic leader um you know, I did the normal thing. I, you know, I uh, went through the avenues within my department to, to try and remedy the things that were wrong and the department didn't do anything about it. Um, so I left. So I quit and um, I quit the profession and I went into the civilian world and um, I hated it. I missed it. I missed uh, the calling. Uh, mm. That's what I do call it. it it's a calling. Uh, I lasted for two weeks in the civilian world. (laughs) 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 Um, and, and in all honesty, day one, I knew I was going to quit. Like the the first day at work, I came home and I was like, this is not for me. Like, I can't, Mm. I can't continue doing this. So I, um, called my chief of police that I had a, um, terrible exit interview with because I never thought I was going to come back. Uh, so lesson learned to folks, um, be reserved in your exit. Um, but I, um, I ate a big slice of humble pie and I apologized and asked for my job back. Um, and the chief, uh, to my surprise, uh, said, hey, you can come back. And I said, can I come back as a sergeant? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. You can come back as a sergeant. So they put me through the whole hiring process all over again. Mind you, I was only gone for two weeks. Um, so um, I'm like, why is this taking two months to get rehired? Uh, I go to sign my new offer letter and they demoted me. They put me down as a patrol officer. Um, and at the time I, I needed a job. Like I, I didn't have any time to argue with it. So mm-hmm. I took the job and um, it got worse from there. Um, they put me through field training again. So I had been an op- officer Stop. with them for 14 years. Stop. They put me through field training with an officer who had two years on. And it was all about, Embarrassment. It was all about shaming and um, it just all the 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 most terrible things that you could think about. And there were other things here and there that um, it was very clear that my return back to the department was um, for one reason, one reason and only, which was to set a tone of this is what happens to you when you when you um, abandon this agency. Um, It got so bad to the point that on May 25th, 2019, I sent my family out of the house and um, I attempted to kill myself. Um, That's how bad the the stress was. And it had nothing to do with the stressors of uh, the many, many horrible scenes that I've seen, the many homicides, the many um, uh, children that have passed and horrific car accidents. It had nothing to do with that. Mm. None of that was the reason why I did what I did. It was all... Because of poor um, law enforcement leadership,
1: the culture. Uh, the sucks.
2: culture is so bad in our profession. It's just not my former agency, and no. I say former because we're going to get there. Um, so I obviously I didn't I, I didn't complete. Uh, so I'm still here, thank thank goodness. Um, and I moved on. Um, I went and got help, and I went and took medication, which I was very, very against any buddy that's on here. That's like me. That's a manly man that doesn't take medication even for the flu. Uh, taking mental health medication as a law enforcement profession is something that you will fight like tooth and nail because yes. we see a lot of people that are on mental health medication mm-hmm. and we see how erratic the behavior is. And I was against it. And um, now I live through it. And I can tell you that there's reasons why they're like that. Um, mm. So comes October. So this was May. Now comes October. I'll, October, I decide, hey, I need to tell my story. So I start a podcast. I start the Roll Call Room podcast. I Start this podcast. You know, um, you know, you know what it's like. You start a podcast. You look at the numbers, and you're like, all right, you know, a couple people are listening to this. It could be just the departments listening to it. By November, it had turned into like ten thousand listeners, 15,000 listeners around there. And it was growing and it was growing fast. And um, my, my former co-host that was with me at the time, we were like, they're going to shut us down any minute, any day. Like five was the magic number. We were like, five is going to be the number. They're going to shut us down. And this is going to be the end of it. Wow! And five came and went. Then early December hit and we were at the 25,000 listener mark. So it will, it had taken a It was just steamrolled. Huge. Yeah. And uh, then comes the phone call. Comes the phone call from the chief. Hey, I need to see you. And I'm like, here we go. What were you talking about? Uh, (laughs) We, uh, you know, looking back at it now, we didn't tiptoe. We went into it full and hard. We attacked leadership. We told stories about poor command decisions. We told stories about vindictiveness. We t- told stories about um, um, positional equity, which is something that I talk about in my my book, which is, is you're only as important to me as what you can do for my career. Um, and we told stories about specific commanders without saying their names. So we hid their names, which still probably wasn't very the smartest thing in the world um, <laughs> looking back. So we got, I got called in separate from my co-host and it was my chief, my assistant chief and the human resource uh, manager. And he, uh, as soon as I walked in, he was like, uh, roll call room Nick. And I was like, oh, this is what this is going to be about. And uh, he was like, so let's talk about this podcast. And um, I, the first thing out of my mouth was, I was like, I'm not taking it down. I'm not taking this thing down. I was, and I knew this, what this meeting was about. So at this point I had had about 50 to a hundred emails from fans that were thinking about committing suicide that were no longer no thinking about way. it. Yeah, wow. um, One was a wife who listened to an episode, noticed some of the stuff that we were talking about, confronted her husband. Her husband turned around and was like, I was going to kill myself tonight and took her downstairs to the basement. And he had these letters like laid out for her and the kids and just had it laid out and she had challenged them and said, you know, you're displaying all of these things. So I said, listen, I'm not taking it down. And I I showed him the letters and I was like, he goes, well, I'm getting a lot of flack from the commanders about the stuff that you're saying. And I said, well, are they angry because I'm saying it? Or are they angry because it's true?
3: Hmm. And he's
2: like, well, maybe it's a little bit of both of them. And I go, well, then they need to do some, some soul searching. They need to do some self-reflecting and understand that their poor leadership decisions that they're making are causing major mental health issues within the the agency. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed by doing the podcast was after roll call, you know, the little powwows that happen after roll call, there were many officers that would come up and because I was vulnerable on the podcast, they would come up and they would say, Hey, listen, I'm experiencing experiencing the same thing, and and I'm afraid to go talk to somebody because I'm I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. I'm afraid mm-hmm. they're going to take my gun, and I'm going to lose my job. And I was like, well, first of all, you don't have to tell them anything. You don't ha- you don't have to disclose anything, any medication. You don't have to disclose anything that you don't want to. Mm. Um, I didn't, and matter of fact, my department didn't even know about it until my exit. Um, so this discussion with the chief, we we ended it with. Uh, that we would no longer tell specific stories about commanders, uh, and we would cut back on the cursing because there was quite a bit of cursing. Um, mm-hmm. which,
1: oh, sounds I'm, like so, me.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but I'm I'm from New York City. I'm, a, I'm I live in Virginia now. I'm from New York City. Every other word is F and S. You know, like, that's I how we
1: do it up in New you know, England, man.
2: I, I can't change it. You know, no? so and it's not natural. Like we tried to do a family friendly episode, and it was it just sounded it's, stupid. Really. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was just, and I was like, oh, Frankfurter. <laughs> listen, nobody wants to listen to that, guy." but, like, you're a midnight officer, and you're in a parking lot, or you're driving around, and you don't want to hear that. You want to hear the tough, raw uh, language. That's what you mm-hmm. want to hear. Mm-hmm. So, I leave. Um, oh, at the meeting, he goes, listen, I know about your First Amendment right, yada, yada, yada is what we're going to do is we're going to send it to the city attorney's office and make sure that you're not stepping on any third rails or any landmines and make sure that you're covered because you are in law enforcement. So your first amendment right, you do have first amendment right to a certain extent as a law enforcement officer. Hmm. It's okay. No problem. We had already had an attorney, so we knew that we were good. Um, We didn't name our agency. We didn't name people specifically. And we did that for a reason. And we never released our last names And we never, ever released our faces. So if you ever look at our logo, it's all cartoons. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we did that was because for legal purposes. So February comes around. So we fast forward. Uh, Let me back up. So this is December. January, I take the lieutenant's process from an officer. The way that they wrote the lieutenant's process was you only needed to be a sergeant for three years. Well, Mm -hmm. they didn't write in the process that you needed to be a current sergeant. Ah. So I took the process. This really irritated a lot, a lot of people, a lot of people. So the results come out, okay? Results come about out in the end of January, and I scored number four out of 27. Wow. Five, five promotions about to happen. So it's a guarantee this is happening. You know, it's unheard of for a patrol officer to get a butter bar. It's unheard of, right? Mm-hmm. February rolls around. February 20th rolls around. City attorney delivers their findings to me and my co-hosts. Hey, you're good to go. The only violation that you have is that you're selling t-shirts on your website and you need to have an off-duty form because you're making a profit. You have an off-duty job. We're like, no problem. One page form, bing, bang, boom, done. Okay. February 21st. So that was February 20th. February 21st, I get issued a uh, write-up from when I was a sergeant for theft of items from the police department. (laughs) Theft of items from the police department. Ironic that it was the day after the city uh, attorney says that we're good to go. Um, So when I find out about this, I start printing out emails and text messages from um, the organization that bought the items. And when I had left the agency, there were items that were left in my office and they had to email me. They said, hey, some of these items are missing. And back a year ago, I had written in, thank God I can't keep all my emails. I wrote in the email, I said, listen, since you can't find it, tell me what how much it all comes to. I'll cut you a check for it. Just go buy it again. So um, this is in February, April 20th. Uh, I forgot to tell you when I got rehired, they put me on a year of probation, a year of probation after being with the agency for 14 years. So they put me on probation. My probation ends April 28th, April 20th. They pull me into an internal investigations They interview me and everything that they interview me about, I'm pulling out emails and text messages and the person who's interviewing me and the internal investigation, you can tell they just don't care. They're just like, you're done. Mm -hmm. Virginia is a right to work state, which means while you're on probation, they can fire you for anything, no cause whatsoever. Yeah. They don't like the way your shoes are tied, you're fired. Mm -hmm. They hand over the investigation to the chief on the 25th. My probation ends the 28th and, um, chief goes, "Hey, you know this is, doesn't look good and I don't think you're going to come out of this okay." And I was like, "Well, I'm not going to allow you to fire me. I resign." And I left. Wow. Yeah. And um it is all it is all because of this podcast. And I told my chief uh on my phone call conversation with him, I said, "Is this really the way that you want to do this?" And I said, "This is the hill that I'm ready to die on because mm-hmm. this podcast is that important to me." be cautious with what you're about to do and um, just didn't care. So um, a lot of new things have developed since then. I've been I've been not with the agency since uh, April. So April 25th, somewhere around there
3: mm-hmm. was my
2: last day. I've just been I sitting around uh, doing podcast stuff and, uh, um, you know, did a whole bunch of FOIA requests for emails and text messages uh, of stuff that was going on behind the scenes while this was going on. And it's astounding how you can see how these lead leaders, quote unquote, leaders, um, do the things that they do behind scenes. It's shameful. Mm. It's shameful. And uh, when you look at the current events now with uh, the riots and defunding and stuff like that, really, we should be looking at our top leadership in law enforcement. That's what we should be looking at. We should be Mm. reevaluating who's leading these agencies.
1: A hundred percent.
2: hundred percent. If you have a chief of police that the last time that they strapped up and went out on the street was more than eight years ago, five years ago, it's time to get a new chief.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Because we're not in peacetime right now. We are at a at a time where we need innovative community policing, community oriented, out of the box thinking in law enforcement yes. right now. We don't need um we don't need chiefs of police from the eighties and nineties and the early two thousands. We need younger chiefs of police. We need people with innovative ideas. And uh, unfortunately, the dinosaur, I say this on my show all the time, the dinosaurs are not dying off quick enough. And I don't want to see anybody die. That's not the analogy, folks. Yeah, yeah. It's, they're not retiring quick enough. Um, and every time you see a chief of police position open, it's always filled by um, some grimacely old looking person that looks like they've been in the profession since Elliot Ness. Um, And that's not the way it should be. But when you look at chiefs of police that are in their older 30s, early 40s, those agencies are thriving. Those agencies are good with the community. They're in the community, and they lead their leaders. Yes. Uh, They're mentors. They're not uh, positional equity leaders. They're not pound into the ground leadership. Um, They're not vindictive leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can always tell an agency by their internal investigations unit.
1: Yeah.
3: (laughs) Is
2: is their I.I. being used as a weapon or is it used as a performance tool to retrain officers? Listen, nobody wants to work with a bad officer. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to. Any Mm -hmm. good cop that I've ever worked with never wants to work with a bad cop. Mm-mm. And that's what I.I. should be generally used for is for that really, really bad officer, the officer mm-hmm. that's on the take, the officer that's aggress- too aggressive, has a bad use of force, whatever it is.
1: Yeah,
2: I.I. I should never, ever be used for stuff that can be handled at the lowest level oh. performance management. I.I. Mm-hmm. I. I should never see a cruiser accident ever. I know. No, no internal investigation should ever touch a cruiser accident that should be handled at the lowest possible level unless this person uh, continuously keeps on having cruiser accidents where it's causing property damage to the county or the city. Right. Um, and I think that's where we blur the lines with our profession is, is what's performance management issue and what's actual terminable offenses.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and 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 that's what's that's what's troubling to me right now is, is that that's the direction that our profession is going is that it's more heavy handed uh, aggressive punishment. I
1: wouldn't even say it's going. I think we're there. I think we're there. I have to say, and you know, you bring up so many good points and I want to circle back around on a lot of things. And I just want to say, I'm glad that you're here after, you know, that experience. And I want to talk to you about that. And so I'm really glad that you're here. I'm glad you turned your most negative night, day, um, experience and you um are turning it around and you are have helped so many and i just see to me that's just that's true you know perseverance you know when you hit your rock bottom and then you're like you know what i'm not just going to keep this experience for myself i'm going to share it as your story my story is similar um as far as just hitting rock bottom and then sharing it and being like yeah. there's got to be somebody who's listening you know and so I, I really want to just shout you out for that. I really admire you and respect you a lot for that. Um, I, I also want to just talk about, I don't want to get into it too much because I feel like all we've all been hearing about is Minneapolis and everything, but I will say this, just, just to um, kind of play off of what you're saying, I really, in my heart, I really believe that we should, I'm not saying that those officers aren't like guilty, not guilty, I'm not saying that they're none of that, but I'm just saying, let's go back and look at the culture let's, in that law enforcement agency. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the leadership, exactly what you're saying. Um, I, think, I think that's so huge. And you know, I have to ask you, like, you weren't ever worried that any retaliation was gonna happen to you like when you went back? Like when you went no. back and you talked to the chief?
2: Let me tell you, I loved my agency so much. I was, the community, I was the community policing sergeant for five out of seven years of being a sergeant, which meant that I was responsible for everything that had to do with community policing. And I loved that job. Mm-hmm. I love that agency. I went back to it because I missed it so much. I never in a million years thought that they would do what they did. And even, even so, that when I went back, I overlooked being put through field training again. I overlooked a lot of the stuff that was going on. But the podcast, I never, ever thought that I would lose my job over mm-hmm. it. and it would be disguised as an as a internal investigation for theft. Because to me, that's one of the worst things that you can call a cop.
0: Oh, hands thie- down.
2: And then what I forgot to tell you was, is the conclusion of the investigation went from being accused to being a thief to the final determination was misuse of department property. So it went from you stole it to you misused it. And it's just it's, it's, it was mind-blowing. I actually... When I went into the interview room for internal investigations, I was actually laughing because I thought it was a joke. It was so the it was so bad the amount of stuff that they didn't have that as a law enforcement officer, if somebody would have called me and I had a call for service for that, I would have laughed. I'd have been like, "Get out of here! This we're not going to handle this like this. Right. This is stupid." Um, but it it was all because we called out the commanders. And the commander of internal investigation was somebody that we routinely talked about on the podcast because Mm -hmm. this person had been moved around in the department so many times because they're such a poor, toxic leader. Mm. They had been moved around to hide them all over the department. So they They put them in I.I. uh, Yeah, they put them in I.I., which is the worst place you can put somebody like that. Um, And then I forgot to tell you, the two sergeants that are in I.I. were on the lieutenant's list, number five and number six on the list. I was number four. Wow. I mean, it's just like it was, it was a perfect storm where it was just like, I remember getting my suspension paperwork or my, yeah, my suspension paperwork. I was out of town and um, I just looked at it and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I just can't, I can't do this anymore. It's been a year of trying to fit in to an agency that does not want me anywhere. They don't want me there.
3: Right.
2: Uh, they don't, they're not buying what I'm selling anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm saving more lives by doing this podcast than I am with strapping on a uniform. Yep. And I'm um, all right with that. I'm okay, okay. with that. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, it was a terrible, terrible experience. Very, very terrible.
1: How are you doing now?
2: You know, I have my good days and my de- bad days. Um, I think the podcast as much as it's therapeutic for the fans, it's, it's very therapeutic for me. Um, mm-hmm. I have bouts of like, I treated my job the 15 years I was with that agency like a marriage. I loved my job. Um, I sac- my, my kids were very, very small. My, my one daughter was um, three years old and my other daughter had just been born, born when I started that job. And for 15 years, I sacrificed family life with them. Uh, birthday party, got a page that there was a barricade situation. I was on the command team. I left. Um, you know, kids recital. Or a community event, community event every single time. Sacrificed 15 years. So when that ended, it was literally like a marriage breakup. Um, one particular incident, I remember it was a week after I left the agency. I was walking down Target, I was walking down the aisle and uh, just realized that I wasn't working there anymore, that my job was over. Like my, prof- my, my, professional career in law enforcement is now blacklisted because of what they did what they put in my jacket I can never work in law enforcement again and I was sitting in, I was walking down target and I just started crying just out of nowhere and that's not me like I no. I mean the last time I, I I had a good cry was probably about 20 years ago but it was it was rough like I had to walk out and go run to my car because it had hit me I was like they not only just made me leave they destroyed my law enforcement career it's done i will never be able to go back into law enforcement cuz the first thing that they're going to do is they're going to pull my file and they're going to see that in my file and nobody's going to hire me
1: mm.
2: nobody's going to hire me
1: well unless you make some good connections
2: <laughs> yeah well i mean and and you know i, I i'm at a point right now I'm okay with not being in law enforcement right now. Uh, I, you yeah, no
1: shit, huh?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially,
2: <laughs> especially currently. I mean, I live. You know, I was. I worked for New York City when Amna Louima happened. I worked for New York City when a couple of the other things um, that that NYPD went through. I worked uh-huh. Ferguson. I worked worked through Baltimore. I worked through South Carolina incident. So I mean, I worked through a lot, a lot of these things. And when you're in community policing and you're in charge of community policing, um, you got to know your stuff. Uh, we had an officer involved shooting in my jurisdiction. The I was off duty. The first thing I did was call my community policing officers. And I um I made them come into work and I made them knock on every door around where the subject was shot. And I made them tell every single resident exactly what happened before the press even knew about it. Mm-hmm. And that's unheard of because if you, you see in law enforcement, it's no comment. So right. ongoing investigation. And we got in front of it so that when the press started knocking on these people's doors, they were like, "No, no, 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 no! That's not what happened. The police already came here and talked to us and told us the whole story." Smart. And that's the t- that's the type of innovative policing that we need yes. in law enforcement right now. Mm-hmm. This tight-lipped behind yellow tape garbage has got to stop. Yes. And and the, and the the dancing around. And, uh, and you know all all, the, all this other stuff, this cowtailing around and being fake for the public, you can do that all day long. Mm-hmm. But the proof is in the pudding. Like, what mm-hmm. are you doing um, for your community? And defunding it, you should be funding it, not defunding it. Yeah, you know, a lot of these agencies can't afford uh, training. Right. Like my agency, that a lot of the stuff, unless we got a government grant to go and go to DWI training or active shooter training, you aren't getting it. Right, is a lot of these small agencies don't have the money for that. Um, you want to help your police department? You want to help Minneapolis? Fund them,
3: yeah. fund them,
2: train them, train them, better. Train them uh, better. And I talk, I talk about this a lot when it comes to them. And and I know you said we're not going to touch too much on Minneapolis, but the thing about it is, and where you can see poor leadership in Minneapolis is this: um, we have somebody that's on right now that's on uh, that's working. You have a radio here, right? Mm -hmm. every every officer has a radio ear you cannot tell me that as a sergeant or a commander you didn't hear that breaking bad early right you can't tell me that you didn't hear that coming you can't tell me that from the time that that officer called at that traffic stop from the time that he tried putting him in the cruiser and he couldn't get him in the cruiser you mean to tell me that you didn't put down your croissant and your cup of coffee and jump in your cruiser from headquarters and drive to the location. Because go back and watch those videos again. Count how many people have stripes and count how many people have a butter bar on scene when that went down. I'll tell you, none, Mm -hmm. none of them were there. Mm
3: -hmm. And that's a
2: lack of leadership. Because had I have heard that when I was a sergeant and I heard it breaking bad, I would have went lights and siren down to the scene And I would have tapped that dude on the back and I would have went, you're relieved, take a hike. Mm -hmm. You're too personally invested in this arrest. Mm
3: -hmm. You
2: take over, sit him up, sit him, put him against the tire, go get him a bottle of water and then start talking to him, calming things down. That could have been de-escalated at a a supervisor level. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And that, that, that lets me know that Minnesota either the the supervisors are overly worked or their span of control is too large or they're not trained properly as supervisors or commanders and disbanding think, them is not the option
1: no i agree i i completely agree and and i think it's all of the above if i'm honest like from what i've heard the scuttlebutt that i've heard and the officers that have reached out to me it's all of the above mm-hmm. and the, you know this is just the straw that broke the camel's back but like a lot of things have been going on in that agency but you know I I, I couldn't agree more. I wonder, what do you think? Do you think that this will change leadership in law enforcement? Because it's no. going to, I mean, we're, we're going. change is coming. I mean, hello, look at all the shit that's going on. Change is coming. Do you think that we might see um, change in leadership for good?
2: No, n- no, not in the way that we want to see it change. And I'll tell you why, because I already see it happening municipalities like city council, um, city councils and, and whatever structure of government you have are heavily looking at upper management to start managing lower level officers on the street. And that's actually the reverse of what you need. Yep. Um, you know, city council members and whatever munis- municipality you have are looking into body cams and all stuff. Body cams are fantastic after the fact, right? after right. the fact. Body cameras don't stop shootings no. body cameras don't stop what happened in Minnesota
3: mm-hmm.
2: it has to be at the leadership level the, the the DOJ I almost think has to start going in and doing full-blown audits for these law enforcement agencies and start requalifying top brass in these police departments yeah. are you qualified to lead an agency
3: mm-hmm. and I'd
2: venture to say that in America across America, that more than 60% of our law enforcement chiefs and assistant chiefs should not be wearing a uniform.
1: I could agree We should have more.
2: turned it in years ago, yeah. years ago. We've I all feel- worked for somebody that we're like, how the hell are they still in charge of anybody, let alone themselves?
1: 100%. And,
2: and who learned that? The NYPD learned that the hard way. Because when you look at NYPD's videos with the riots and stuff, how many white shirts do you see? A lot, a lot. And the reason being for that is because they're out there leading from the front. They're out there going, whoa, 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 whoa. stop, stop, stop. Let it go. I know they just threw a bottle. Let it go.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Or, okay, go get that person. Mm-hmm. They're leading from the front. The, the commanders are taking bottles in the face. They're taking punches to the face. And that's how you get your people below to follow you. They'll yes. follow, follow you into the gates of hell if they know that you have their back.
1: A hundred percent.
2: And that's the problem in our profession right now is is that you have a lot of positional equity leaders that are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, I can't do that. Like, mm. I'll have you go out and do that. And then you just report back to me, whatever you see. Or they or, tell you to go do something and then and then you do it and they're like, I didn't tell you to do it that way. And you're like, you didn't tell me what way you wanted it done. You said, just do it. Exactly. So it's- so do I think that there's going to be a change? Yeah, there's going to be a big, huge change in law enforcement. It's just not in the way the boots in the ground really want it to be. I, yeah. And that's unfortunate. Um, I think we're going to see mass of exodus, uh, exits of people in this profession
3: mm-hmm.
2: that are on the fence, whether or not they want to leave. Uh, the millennial generation, which is actually as much as the millennial generation gets a, a short, you know, they get kicked around. I talk about it in my in my in my book. The millennial generation actually is the generation that's going to fix law enforcement. Yes. It or not. Yes. They are actually going to pull. They are actually going to fix the mental health issue within law enforcement, and they're going to fix the leadership issue. If we could just get them to stay longer than three years, mm-hmm. and that's the problem. The millennial generation. It's not a calling, and it's not a job. It's just now.
3: Mm-hmm. It's just
2: what what I got going on now. And if we can get over that hump. I think the millennial generation will be the generation that shapes our, our profession. But, well, I think so too.
1: I think so too.
2: But I think a lot of them don't want to, I don't think a lot of them want to put up with what they're seeing right now mm-hmm. uh, with, the, with the protests and, you know, being yelled at and spit on. And, you know, for, for heaven's sake, you can't even have a law enforcement sticker on your car anymore supporting no. law enforcement. Hell no. Um, you know, I had a lawn flag in my in the front of my yard, a thin blue line flag. I had to take it down. Mm-hmm. um
1: that's across the i mean it's
2: across everywhere that's everywhere, the that's yeah. everywhere. It, it is i don't no. even wear my shirts so out out in the public any law enforcement shirt i don't wear Yep. sad
1: yep it is sad um so I want to go back. I want to ask you a couple of things. So because you said something you said something that I talk about all the time. And what you what you said was, you know, when you tried to commit suicide, you said, "Autumn, it, it wasn't because of the shit that I saw. It was because of what I was dealing with, with the leadership and the administration and within the culture."
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That is a hundred percent, by and large, what I hear. I sh- I'm sure you hear the same thing. I mean, officers, they reach out to me all the time and it's never about the shit like you know we have once in a while you'll have an officer who's in a a horrific situation and they can't get it out of their head but more likely than not nine times out of ten it really is it's about the culture it's about the leadership it's about you know all those things so my question to you is how do we when you were in that low what were your can you tell me what your thoughts were like when you were in that low well
2: well I think I'll add to what you said. I think a lot of it has to do with bullying within our profession. We eat our own yes, we, we are the worst with eating our own. Uh, we feed on drama. It's like high school. We feed on it. This profession feeds on drama and just putting another person down. Um, what uh, I just completely forgot. What what was your what was your question about the day I did it? I'm sorry.
1: No, it's okay. It's your thoughts. Like what were your thoughts around
2: I think like it was that? I think it was a lot of it had to do with leading up to May 25th. A lot of it had to do with I really took the rank of sergeant as an identity for myself. Like mm. when they stripped that from me and then they started doing what they did to me and and now looking back on it and thinking about it it angers me that I even got to that point because I should never have allowed any anyone or anything or any agency to bring you to that point. But it was just I felt I felt betrayed. I felt um, lied to. I felt like um, I didn't have a purpose. I was ashamed around my family. Uh, My kids were at my graduation ceremony. you know, they they loved that their dad was a sergeant. They came out on community events with me while I was the community sergeant, and it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing to to the point where I re, would not get home, dressed at home with my silver patches on. Wow. I was so embarrassed to be around my kids in uniform, and then it would get even more embarrassing because I would go out on calls for service, and I would work with with just – knew people that didn't even know who I was and didn't even know that I was a sergeant or Mm. now I had sergeants supervising me that were officers when I was a sergeant and it was embarrassing. It was really, really embarrassing. And, um, it was just a downward spiral. It just, it, it, I, I was like, I just, I just don't see any way out of this. Like I just, I felt lost and helpless and, um, it was tough. I mean, I, I, I went into the planning stage. Um, the first day that I came back to work was April 30th. My first day back as a patrol officer, my captain called me into her office. And I thought that this was going to be the conversation. Welcome back. I know this has got to be really difficult for you. It's got to be tough going from a sergeant back down to an officer. We got your back. Don't worry about it. I walk into her office my lieutenant is in the office, my new sergeant's in the office, and her. She's like, close the door, close the door. And she goes, let me first start off by saying, everything that's happening to you right now, you did to yourself. Nobody else did this to you. And if I hear you talking badly about the department or the chief, you won't make it off of probation. That was it. That was the the first day I thought about doing it. That was the first day. And every day since then, was me convincing myself not to do it. Wow. And then the week before I tried to do it was when I got serious about it. I put all my affairs in order. I made sure all my bank bank accounts were straight. I knew I made sure that my my safe had my deed to my house. I mean there was just so much preparation that went into it. Wow. And um what
1: no Nick what kind of so you know what kind of mind frame does a person have to be in to be that low? Like I mean you must have been like
2: I was done. I was done, done. Like I was done. There were times when I actually thought about doing it at work. Because um, you I were so putting, angry with them? I was so angry with the department and they had turned me into the, the, what I never, ever wanted to become as a patrol officer. When I was a patrol officer and when I was a field trainer and when I was a sergeant, I filled up my tank of gas in the beginning of my shift and I left the end of my shift with an empty tank. I always drove around. I never parked somewhere. I was always getting into something. When they did what they did, I just sat in a parking lot all night. I didn't do anything. Wow. I just it just deflated me to the point where I was like, I got to be careful because I got a target on my back. Like I got to worry about if I make a mistake or if I have a use of force, I'm going to be out of here. Mm. Uh, that year of probation, I really thought I really thought I was going to get. I thought I was going to get fired a lot sooner than than I did. Um, mm. and then like, once we got past the holidays and then the lieutenant's process happened, I was like, wow, this may actually happen. I might actually get promoted. And, um, as soon as I knew that I was under investigation, like in February, I was like, I'm done. I was like, I, I knew the writing was on the wall. I knew mm. it was coming because it was, it was basically the opportunity of a lifetime for these commanders that we were talking about on the podcast. Cause they were like, uh, we got you now, <laughs> we got you now you're on, and, uh, the thing i forgot to tell you was is at the end of my interview for with ii the the uh, captain who did my interview was like i don't think you're being truthful and i was like okay send me for a polygraph and anybody in law enforcement that knows when somebody voluntarily asks for a polygraph 9 times out of 10 they know that they're telling the truth mm-hmm. uh, you know there are some people like on the first 48 that say give me a polygraph and then like they act all surprised that they failed it mm-hmm. uh, and this is, the, this is what I got from him. He was like, well, I got to ask the chief, uh, you know, we got to schedule it because of COVID. Um, you know, we don't do it here. We have to have another, another jurisdiction do it. So it's not biased. And I was like, you're not going to order a polygraph because it's going to take longer than the five days. And it's going to be past my probation. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's not the reason. Sure was the reason. Because past the five days, I get off probation. Then I have grievance rights in, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And that's the mm-hmm. reason why they didn't order the polygraph. And that's what's going to bite them in the ass in the end. Wow. I can't go into what's happened since. Right. uh, But you should never write, uh, you know, this is some advice for your listeners. Try and keep off of your work email and your work cell phones when you're making communication amongst yourselves. Because it's Mm -hmm. all FOIA requestable. It's Mm -hmm. all available to the public. Mm. Wink, wink.
1: Yeah. Okay. So this, so... I think, so this happened this year, like this is like this spring is what you were talking about? Uh, May 25th,
2: 2019 was when I tried. Okay. And my last day at work was uh, this April, April 25th of 2020. Wow. So. Real recent. Real recent.
1: So how, okay. So you tried to take your life, you were unsuccessful, right? Yep. Obviously, because you're still here, but like you actually did attempt to. Mm-hmm. And then it didn't work. And then what happened?
2: Uh, well, I remember calling. Um, my, uh, my wife was in the police academy at the time. And uh, she was driving. Uh, she was driving home. I don't know what she said, but it was something like, you know, what's going on? How are you doing? And uh, just broke down. And uh, I said to her, I was like, I, I, uh, I tried to kill myself. And she was like, do not get off the phone with me. Stay on the phone with me. What is going on? You know, and, and i just broke down. I was like, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I don't, I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to, I feel like a round, around peg and trying to fit in a square hole in this agency. And I love this agency. And she's like, just leave, just leave. And I was like, it's not that easy. I just, I love this place. Like, it was like I literally was like a marriage. Like I was like a battered spouse. I was like I gotta make this work, you know. I gotta make this work. And um, you know, she came home and we went right right to um, uh, the medical facility for with our insurance. And thank heaven they were fantastic. Um, got me right into um, um a psychiatrist. And I never it's it's in my book. Uh, I remember slumped over, and uh, the therapist was like. You look like you got the weight of the world on your shoulders, and I just for twenty minutes just broke down. And she's like, "We got to get you on some sort of medication." I was like, "Absolutely not. Nope, not doing it. Nope." And she's like, "What's your stigma with uh, with medication?" I go, "I'm a law enforcement officer. I got to carry a gun. You know, I, I don't want. God forbid I get into a shooting. They're gonna they're gonna piss test me. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pop hot. I'm gonna lose my job." And she's like, "No, no stop, 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 stop." what have you heard about mental health medication? I was like, I know what I've seen. I've seen people that have been on it and it doesn't work or they they stop taking it. And she's like, well, first of all, it takes like five to six weeks for half of the stuff to get into your system. And you know, it's not as bad as you think it is. It's not like the movies. I was like, Oh, okay. All right. And I took it. I, I started taking medication. And, uh, The one thing I can remember from taking medication, mental health medication is, is that it really worked in the sense where it retrained your brain to not focus on the things that depressed you or things Mm. that bothered you. It would like it would pop in my head and then my brain would just kind of, you know, shake a little bit and go, no, we're not, we're not, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Mm. What was really weird about it was, is I started having very, very vivid memories very early on in my life things that i didn't remember like childhood memories and stuff and i call my therapist i'm like this is the weirdest shit. this is the weirdest shit like what the hell is going on what did you give me and she's like your brain is no longer focused on ptsd and all this traumatic stuff it has time now to recall good memories
3: mm. and i was
2: like holy shit this is phenomenal yeah give me more of this shit this right. is good shit Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, and then I took, um, I was on, uh, Zoloft for a a good period of time and then it had an adverse effect. And then as a cop, I, it was the best training for me as a cop, because now I remember why people stop taking their mental health medication because they're like, I don't need it anymore. It's working. It's not working. It is working. You feel the way that you feel because it is working. Mm. People with mental health issues, they go, well, I'm going to stop taking it because it's working. For me, it was, it started having an adverse effect. It started chewing up my stomach. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. There were other things that I couldn't do. And I was at least smart enough to call up and be like, listen, either we got to come off this medication altogether or you got to switch me. And I was so naive. I didn't know anything about mental health medication. I thought there was only like two, like Mm -hmm. Olaf and Prozac, like the only two that I ever knew about. Right, right. And, um, doctors like, um, all right, we're going to switch you to this. I was like, great, let's switch me to this. Put me on another medication. That medicine had the adverse effect. I couldn't sleep. It just kept me up all night. Um, you know, I got a lot of stuff done around the house, but other than that it was not good. Um, and then switch me to the one that I'm on right now. And it's, it's freaking fantastic. I love it. Dosage is great. But when you forget to take it, Like when I I know for a fact, it's, it's time release. So if I take it at nine, I got to take it at nine tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, I know for a fact that at 10 o'clock in the morning tomorrow, I'll feel the effects that I'm off of it. I know immediately that I'm off.
1: What's the feeling?
2: It's terrible. It's bouts of like um, helplessness, depression, just in a funk, just like sweats, you know, just nauseous, just real like withdrawals of, of, Um, it's just, I I would, I would just categorize it as withdrawals Hmm. Um, and then it kind of messes you up for a couple of hours and then it kind of gets you back on track. But, um, it teaches you not to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You uh, you only have to do that like twice. And then you're like, you're like, all right, all right, we're not going to do this no more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But now, like what I told you, May 25th, none of it had to do with the scenes that I saw. Right. Now that I'm away from the profession, I have not gotten a full night's sleep since I left the job.
1: No oh, shit. Why?
2: I wake up at least three or four times in the middle of the night now because I'm no longer doing the job every single day. All of the car accidents, all of the the, the dead children, all the homicides are all coming back to me. Like I can relate. Yeah, because I'm not, because you, you put that down. You're like, I don't have time for that. I got to go to work. Let's get in game mode. I'm in warrior mode. Let's get out there. Let's do our job.
3: Mm-hmm. When
2: that job is over, and this is what I worry about with, with retirees, and this mm-hmm. is why the suicide rate is so high with retirees, because when you start decompressing and you start thinking about all of that stuff, um, and I'm not talking about you're walking around shopping at Target and you're thinking about it. This is the second plug for Target. Somebody should give you a sponsorship or something for Target. <laughs> but, um, uh, Target's the greatest place in the world. Um, way better than Walmart. Let's just be honest. Yes. Well, I go to Walmart to watch people.
3: Uh, <laughs> that creepy. Um, but, creepy.
2: Um, <laughs> uh, so, um, what was I saying? This is my, uh, New York city, uh, ADD. That's the next thing I'm getting tested for is ADD. Yeah. Uh, uh attention deficit. So. Yeah. I, I need that medicine. I need, I need that. That's what I need. I need more stuff to take.
3: Yeah. You know the
2: pill organizers, they're full to the top with it. <laughs> no more, no more. No more. Uh, oh. But, oh, so what I was saying was, is that it's subliminal. Like it's not like you walking around thinking about these scenes. It's during dreams. At, yeah. le- at least it's for me. Like I mm. just this morning at four thirty this morning, I woke up from uh, a dream that I had about an actual, um, infant death from a car accident haven't thought about that thing in seven years Mm
3: -hmm. that thing happened
2: seven years ago Mm -hmm. and um you know these are the traumas that you see these are the the ptsd that you see but you just put it deep down and you're like i don't have time for that I, I, i got work to do yeah um so i think more people are talking about this stuff like you like me like There's a lot of podcasts out there, law enforcement podcasts that are really focusing on it. Bluehelp.org is focusing on on suicides. Um, 228 last year, more than line of duty deaths. I know. That's insane. And that's the ones that we know about. That's what we know. Mm -hmm. And forget about the ones that get classified as accidental deaths, like cleaning the gun, kind of, wink, Mm wink. Those are the ones that are not being cataloged. Um, So-
1: and you know what? And the and the interesting thing for me too is that it's the same in for fire departments too. So it's the same. I mean, not as high numbers, but their numbers are high if you look at them, and they're losing more to suicide than they are in the line of duty. So again, yeah. what you know, we're seeing some consistencies here with the culture and the leadership. You know, and it's funny they because
2: they sleep a lot, though. Well, they do sleep a lot. They get a lot of sleep. Any any fire people on right now?
1: John, he's on. Okay. Volu-
2: are you a volunteer? Oh, yeah. they're always working. They're fantastic. <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right, Jonathan.
2: <laughs> it's funny.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree, but obviously I just think that something's going on in the culture all the way around, right, to make us like that. And so, okay, so as we wrap this up, because I don't want to take, I'll sit here and talk with you all night long, but th- the thing is, is, is what do you think from somebody who's been in that low, right? You've been there, you've been so low. What, how can we, what is, what are some adjustments? What can we do?
2: I am a big advocate of PTSD screening uh, at a minimum every quarter in every police department agency.
1: So what's that PTSD look like to
2: you? To me, what it looks like is, is you have a tremendous amount of people in the mental health profession that would be willing to come in pro bono, would cost departments nothing. Mm-hmm. Come one page form, one page form, completely secret. Covered under Hepa, right? Could be five questions. You ever, you ever wake up in the middle of the night from a dream, from a nightmare, from a scene that you've uh, from a scene that you've dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever had bouts of uh, feeling low? Not depression. Don't use the D word because depression scares the shit out of cops. Yes. Simple questions like that. I just named off two of them. Just, just simple, simple things. Have you ever, have you ever got dressed to come into work? and thought about not coming in. Have you ever used sick leave when you were not sick?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And you used it from quote unquote mental health day. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we don't we don't vilify those people that answer those honestly. We don't ostracize them. We don't take their gun and badge from them and put them in a corner and, and, and vilify them. And right. that's the problem. Until 100%. we have agencies that don't treat PTSD, as a liability issue, right, and that's what happens Um, because we wanna take their gun, we wanna take their badge, we we wanna take that gun more than anything. And uh, um, we have to get to the point where that stigma of going to get help is not wrong.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, There needs to be mental health professionals in the agencies that that, that are um, examining officers after a major scene. There needs to be peer support team. Let uh, me uh, back up because I just I just said what I didn't want to say. We need peer support. We don't need peer support teams, okay? This is where agencies go wrong. Yes. You don't need a team, okay? The problem with a team for peer support, because I, I developed a peer support training um, class um, uh, with the Roll Call Room podcast. And what I preach is every person in an agency should be part of the peer support group, okay? Because peer support team, and this has happened. When I was the union vice president in my agency and I had an officer that was struggling, I'd call the peer support coordinator and i go, hey, listen, uh, Jim is struggling. Who can he talk to? And he's like, oh, I'll email over a list of people. And you look at your email and you look at the list and you're like, fuck, I wouldn't talk to any of those people. They're all mm-hmm. assholes. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk to any of these people. I wouldn't mm-hmm. even trust any of these people to tell any secrets of my dogs. Right, like, right. And that's the problem is peer support teams isolate you just to specific people on a group. Yep. I want to go to Sally. Sally's mm-hmm. my best friend. I run calls with her. I want her mm-hmm. to turn around and I want to be able to mark out on administrative um, duties for an hour and talk to Sally for an hour. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Smoking a cigar, uh, you know, um, just chilling, having a cup of coffee from Starbucks or or, I'm sorry, can't say Starbucks, but um, some, from some coffee place, Um, whatever it looks like. Um, Because right now we don't have that freedom as patrol officers. It is call, 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 paper, call, call, paper, 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 paper. There is no downtime unless your supervisors and your commanders are recognizing that you need that downtime. Um, And it goes towards like work hours too. It is ridiculous to work 12 hours straight. Mm -hmm. It is is unnatural for you to work 12 hours straight. We've got to get our patrol officers to work eight hours somehow.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. I totally agree. See, I'm a big proponent of the 10-hour shifts, and let's let's work out at the end of shift. And in there, you know, you have an hour break. So, like you're saying you're only working eight hours, but you're getting paid for 10. Yeah, a hundred and ten percent. Like I'm, I'm so with you on all of that. So I hear
2: peer support, and I just, I, 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 I get irate because uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman and I were talking about it too about peer support, and I'm like, peer support is just, it's, it's, it's too, it's, it's too much used right now. That's the Wicked. everything.
1: Wicked. And, yeah. and, 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 and one thing too is like, so that's like what chiefs are doing. Cause they're uneducated. Unfortunately, <laughs> they're like, they're like, oh, peer well, support. yeah. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to send, you EAP. know, yep.
2: Yeah, I'm going to send words.
1: Becky, Bob, and Tom, and they're going to go to, they're going to go be my peer support team. Yeah. They're going to go CIT. Yeah. 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 They have,
2: they have trigger words. Like chiefs yell out trigger words. They're just like EAP, peer support. <laughs> GISM. Yeah. GISM. And you're like mm-hmm. chief. Have you ever tried to call EAP? It is the shittiest thing in the world.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: When I went through what I went through last year, I called EAP. I hung up on them.
1: Yeah, I've I hung heard, that.
2: Them. I've heard that.
1: It's
2: horrible because right off the bat, you know what they tell you? You only have three free, free visits. So we got to get this fixed in three. Oh and you're like, okay, attempt suicide. We're gonna fix this in three in three visits. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we're gonna do this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. S- support. There's tons of support. Yeah. Well, y- well, you know. Nick, I just have to say, you know, I I think, he, and I know you know this, but I'm just going to say this from somebody who's been in the game for a minute: is mm-hmm. you, your vulnerability is huge and it is really healing. You know, it's very healing. You know, because I'm sitting here, and while I was never suicidal, I was really low. I was really low. My entire agency, like they just they spit, chewed me up and spit me out so quickly. <laughs> and and I'm gonna say this you know, for women, it happens very consistently. Okay. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're a woman like me, who has an opinion, Mm -hmm. I become a bitch and nobody likes it. Okay. Especially uneducated and secure men who are my supervisors. And so I'm just saying that, you know, I've been there, I've been where you are and I've, and, and to be able to just have like this open and honest conversation, like just two cops, like, yo, it's real. You know what I mean? And, and, You know, and we're not doing it for the gram, you know, we're not doing it for the likes and for, you know, the follows and shit. It's like, no, like I'm here and you're where you are and you are, you're like, hey guys, like yeah, this happened to me and and I'm on this podcast because one, it's therapeutic for me, but two, I'm going to try to save a life, which you have. And I just, I just think it's really, we need more authenticity. We need more of that.
2: And unfortunately, I think it's, you have to leave the, like, once I left the profession, then my muzzle completely came off.
1: Oh, uh uh-huh. Now Boy, I just do whatever, whatever the fuck I want.
2: <laughs> now I just, and 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 like you said, I'm not doing this for the gram. Like, right. over 100,000 listeners, I'm not Joe Rogan. I don't mm-hmm. have a big major contract from Spotify.
3: Right.
2: I got, you know, I got a whiskey uh, cup company and a coffee company that, that's my sponsorship. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not driving around in a Bentley, you know, like, oh, yeah. uh, it is. It is for the mission. It is that's what it's. That's what it's for.
1: That's and that's one. And what's cool is that you know that is and with your consistency. You know, I've been doing this for a minute, and there are so many days and so many weeks where I'm like, no, I don't have it in me. Like, I just you know, and, and, you know, whatever pops up and, you know, and, and you get in your head, even though it's, it's inaccurate that nobody's listening. Sometimes you feel like nobody's listening, you know, because mm-hmm. with a podcast, other than when you're doing interviews and stuff, you're doing it by yourself. And sometimes, you know, that's just how it feels like, Jesus, anybody even listening to me, like I am out here and I'm raw and I'm vulnerable. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Right. But you know what? It's, it's those emails that you've received, you know, you said you've received over a hundred and, or, oh, yeah. you know, it's and incredible. it's incredible. It's and incredible. that's and that's the point. And I'm that's just the point.
2: for that Target sponsorship. And once that comes,
1: Target, somebody needs my to call Target support. right now and I get them to, to sponsor Nick.
2: Listen, if they just give me a fifty-dollar Target gift card, I'll I'll wear whatever they want. I'll say whatever they want. I'm, <laughs> I'll Is even true. take a twenty-dollar Walmart gift card. I don't
3: Ooh. care. That's what we Some
2: <laughs> power
1: so funny. season.
2: I need some some dirt.
1: <laughs> I'm all about. See, they have this water. I have like a water fountain or whatever, and I'm all about.
2: Oh, I, you're bougie. Yeah. <laughs> my water fountain is my sink.
1: <laughs> well, it doesn't. Mine. We have this well. We have oh, the well water. Enough said. Yeah, and it's. I it's, live in a
2: bougie town. It's hard. It's nice yeah. And filtered.
1: So I'm not. I have to go get my filtered water. I mean, the well's not bad. It's just sometimes it's it's hard, and sometimes it smells like rotten eggs. And who the oh, hell wants the- to drink that? It's because it's so hard.
2: No, can't do it. Sorry. You, don't live it.
1: you city boy. You're a city Damn slipper, right. clearly. Clearly,
2: <laughs> Damn right. I need my mm-hmm. Starbucks right around the corner. Oh, I, I mean, that, that coffee company. Wink, yeah, wink. the
1: coffee. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay, um, Nick, thank you. That's what I have for you, but um, what I'm going to open it up. You guys have anything you want to say or do you want to talk to him? Yeah, Don does. You have to unmute yourself. I can't unmute you guys.
3: No, I said John. John's boom. Oh. Go ahead, John. But thank you, Nick. Thanks for sharing
1: everything. That's awesome. Thank you.
2: I appreciate it, Don. Thank you so much. You're
1: welcome. Anybody else?
2: Oh, damn! I did good.
1: <laughs> yeah, you did. You oh! made him speechless.
2: I know.
3: I know. Nobody. Oh yeah. John's thinking. Okay. Oh. I have a okay. question. Let right. loose.
1: Uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll pause. Does anybody else have anything else they want to say? Any mastermind members? Do you want to, Shan? Yeah. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm just wondering what you or any of you guys thinks, think needs to change to make um, mental health medication be more
3: uh, not
1: stigmatized, not negative. Yeah.
2: I think the more officers that talk about being on it, because I got to tell you something, I have never ever heard any law enforcement officer other than my, and I've been in law enforcement since I was 16 years old. That's when I started in law enforcement in the NYPD. And um, I have never heard any officer actively talk about taking mental health medication while being on the duty. On duty.
3: Mm.
2: And my medication, I would take my medication, uh, I'd take two. I would take my antidepressant before I went into work and ten minutes before I got into work, I took my anti-anxiety medication because I had my anxiety was so high. I constantly was in fear that I was going to get stabbed in the back, not from <laughs> citizens, yeah, not, from not, the corner, not from literally, figuratively, from my yeah. own command staff. Yeah. Um, and and ultimately, that was the that was the defining moment why I resigned. Uh, April twenty fifth was, as I said, the fact that I have to take medication to go into work. That's a problem. That's a freaking problem. Does the cashier at Target have to take? And again, fourth time. Um, does the cashier at Target have to take medication to 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 go to work? I bet you not. I bet you not. But for for me to be able to go into work and just get through thirty minutes of roll call, I have to take this little blue pill for me to get through it. And then once I get out of roll call and I get into my cruiser, I feel great. Because I don't have to see anybody at at the glass castle we used to call it, which was headquarters. Mm. Mm. Once I'm in the public, you know, I'll run towards gunfire. I'll i I'll, I'll save whoever I can save, but it's inside of headquarters where I'm like dodging bullets. I'm like, oh my god, this is the bullying, and it's just not my own agency. the 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 pleasure of doing the podcast and having people that inbox message me and text message me and email me. They're like, holy crap, man, my department is the same exact way. Mm -hmm. So it's systemic. It's everywhere. It doesn't matter what patch you're wearing. It's the same crap. It's the same crap. So true. And and these commanders like to say, you know, like leaders like to say family first, family first. That's all you hear. Family first, family first until it inconveniences or understaffs them. Then Then it's like, Oh I to, yeah if, uh, i need you to well you know you cause it causing a shortage and you're like yeah but it's my family like mm-hmm. i'm here for you every other day i just need this day off nope sorry
1: you know just to say that i'll never forget i was um you know, my husband, he's a state trooper. Everyone knew him, My, my the PDI worked for. Everybody knew him. Everybody knew we um, were living together. We had been together for years. It wasn't a new thing, right? And mm-hmm. he lost his grandfather. Mm-hmm. And I remember calling my sergeant and I'm like, hey, listen, can I get, will you give me the day of like, I can't remember what it's called. It is a technical term, but you know, like when somebody loses, yeah, you for know, reason. some, yeah. yeah yes. yes. So I'm like, can I have that? And, Absolutely not.
2: I'm like oh my god
1: I'm like are you serious he's like no you can't have that he's not your husband I'm like okay but you know I've been with him for like ever and you guys know him and like can you give me something well you know Great leader. Are, you, are you telling me you're calling out sick but you know if you're not home and I'm like I'm gonna you're gonna make me take a vacation day and that was exactly what they made me do
2: you know I was an anomaly when I was a sergeant because when people would call and they would go hey listen I got some personal stuff I would go let me stop you right there what do you need Yep. And they're like, they're like, I, I, I just need the day. And I go, oh, Do you feel comfortable with telling me what's going on? And if it was something really ba- bad, I would go, I see your day and I raise you a day. Because I knew that those two days, I was going to get paid back in dividends. Yes. And they came back from those two days, they were going to be like, Nick, Sergeant Ruggiero, that's a stand up fucking guy.
3: Mm-hmm. That
2: guy looks out for me. That guy took care of me. Mm-hmm. But in the end, when you leave these agencies, nobody's there they're all gone
3: they're mm-hmm. all gone
2: 308 officers in the agency that i left four of them called me four
1: yeah. nick uh, let me tell you i feel like throwing hat. my whole notebook yeah i mean full my 50 mm-hmm. i got uninvited four. from my partner's wedding
2: yeah 4 i'm
1: like what yeah and then
2: well, they want to be your facebook friends they're all just like
1: oh yeah they want to creep on hot. you Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, and when I when I when I said that I wrote a book, then that's when all like the fake friends come out. They're all like, "Oh, you wrote a book? What? You wrote a book? You can write?" I was like, "Whoa, take it easy. I use Dragon software. Talk to text. (laughs) I type how I talk, folks. Comments periods every couple of inches." That's why it's been at the editors for like a month.
1: (laughs) That'll be me when it's my turn. It's going to be there for like a year. (laughs)
2: If you do it, I swear to you, the editing is the worst.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's what I've heard. I've heard. It's funny funny that you say all that too, just because like when you make a post, right? Because now we can, you can talk freely. I can talk freely. I mean, I'm still technically a law enforcement officer, but my chief gives, he just doesn't care. He's like, yeah, you're fine. Just say whatever, do whatever you're good. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And so like, I'll shout, I'll make a post and I'm like, Mm -hmm. That, I'm just saying it. And, oh yeah, all those people I used to work with. Yep. Oh, Autumn. Yeah, I really got your back. I'm like, really, Frankie? I haven't heard from you in like three years. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, when, I, when
2: I left my agency, my co-ho- my former co-host still worked at the agency. And mm-hmm. for his benefit, I stayed quiet. And I think that messed up my coping with what happened to me because I couldn't say what I wanted to say. I could, but I couldn't. And then when they started to circle around him
3: mm-hmm.
2: and he left the show and I was like, uh, game on, yeah, get, yeah. get ready. Here yeah, it yeah. comes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Here it comes. And I just let, as I was a sergeant for seven years, I saw a lot of stuff get covered up.
1: Yeah, Oh, yeah. I,
2: I, 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 I watched dirty bags of laundry get dragged through hallways.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, that's a very, very, that's bad. That's yeah. really, really bad. Um, mm-hmm. I, and and uh, my thing is just the tip of the iceberg. And if it can happen to me, it could happen to anybody. And I was the vice president of the union in my department, and they did that to me. The mm-hmm. vice president of the union?
3: Mm-hmm. Yep, I was like, yep. it's
2: astounding. It's just astounding.
3: Mm-hmm. But it is.
2: I hope our uh, profession takes a pendulum swing the other way very soon, I hope.
1: Yeah, yeah, me too. Go ahead. Another question.
2: Um, I know it's recent since you've,
1: you know, stepped away from law enforcement. Do you find yourself, um, you know, law enforcement officers are hyper vigilant; They're always checking their surroundings. Do you still, you know, do that? Yes. Or, or do you find yourself, you know, or notice yourself being less vigilant?
2: I'll tell you, you know, that's a really good question. I find myself not wanting to go out as often, um, and I'll tell you why is, is I always had that protection off duty with, if I took action, I knew that I was covered under my union. Um, if I took action with my, with my duty weapon or an off duty weapon, I knew that I was covered. Now I don't want to go out because I don't want to go out unarmed. I have just been so trained now that so much stuff happens off duty that I always feel like I constantly need to be armed to protect my family. Not so much me, more my family. Um, and I don't do that anymore. When I go out, I don't carry um, because I'm petrified of getting jammed up. Like mm-hmm. I'm petrified now. I'm not under that, that umbrella of protected uh, law enforcement. But when I do go out, I'm even more vigilant, like you said, because mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not armed. And I don't think that'll ever go away. Um, it's funny that you say that because I was just driving around in the car today and i'm driving down the road and i'm like burnt out tail light expired tag registration expired i don't think i'll ever stop doing that i don't mm-hmm. think i'll ever you know like when you're driving down the road um you're on duty right now and and when you when you're off duty you can you probably do it too i'll be driving down the road and i'll go that car's dirty guaranteed guaranteed, guaranteed mm-hmm. that car's dirty gun or drugs one of the two gun or drugs mm-hmm. and uh i don't think i'll ever give it up and, and what saddens me is, is that that is a skill set that's very, very difficult to acquire and to let that go from an agency. It baffles my mind, makes me so angry because the newer officers that are coming in, can't, they can't spot hand to hands. Um, they didn't come up in the drug war era. Um, so when all of this calms down from, from, from the demonstrations and the riots and the homicide rates start co- going through the roof, And the drug war starts up again. I guarantee you by 2025, the drug war will start up again. It will start up. Because when we start defunding and we start canceling federal grants for these law enforcement agencies, you'll see PCP, you'll see heroin, which opioids are already at an all time high. You're going to see that skyrocket. You're going to see overdoses double within the next year or two. Because you're going to defund these agencies that could barely afford to do anything. Um, that's just, that, That's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope.
1: I say make it all legal. You want to you wanna kill yourself, go ahead. Just you want to rot your teeth out, go just ahead. Just
2: do it at home. That's all I ask. Yeah, yeah, just exactly. Just yeah. do it at home. And
1: just then please. don't call us, please. Don't do not call there us. There <laughs>
2: should be a separate, like, you know, like there's Space Force now. There should be like Death Force. Yeah. Just <laughs> call them. Like, it's like, like. 811 instead of 911. Mm. We yeah. just come and pick you up.
0: Yeah. No, no we just I. come
2: to your house and we scoop you up. We get, because those DOAs, I just don't I don't like them. You just call 811 and we're like, where do you have it? And they're like, right here. And you mm-hmm. just scoop them up. Yep. We don't even have to do a report. Right. Put it on a post it note. Yeah, exactly. No good idea. Post it on a Post-it note and put it on your forehead as they zip you up.
1: Yep. <laughs> I feel the same way.
2: And a birthday.
1: Well, so, Nick. Ne- Tell everybody where they can come and find you.
2: Uh, you can find me at rollcallroom.com. You can email me at nick at rollcallroom.com. Uh, you can pre-order my book uh, at mentalhealthbarricade.com.
1: Yeah. Uh, when does that come out? Because I want to share that when that comes out.
2: Well, it has to get past the editor. <laughs> so we don't know. <laughs> I, am pushing, I am pushing for August. Okay. I am pushing for August. Uh, the printing only takes like a week, which is amazing. Uh, the pre orders are already out and the pre orders are doing really, really well. Nice. Um, which is super cool. It's uh, 11 chapters and it is raw and uncut. Like it is. I had my oldest daughter, who's 17, read first three chapters and she bawled her eyes out for an hour. Mm-hmm. Just raw and uncut. Um, it's going to piss off a lot of commanders. I can tell you that. Wow. Uh, so they can find me there. Um, you know, uh, always reach out. Uh, my email is always on nick at rollcallroom.com.
1: I love that. I love that. Thank you very much, Nick. Sheepdog Nation. We'll see you next time.
0: They bear me in the ward and I came. I knew. Ha, ha. Now I'm baptized in blood. I never quit. I refuse to lose. I got heart in blue. I'm a warrior. I've been baptized in blue. I'm a fighter. And blue. Oh. They bury me in the water in the holy ghost I came out with a badge and gun and a heart that said, never run I signed up for a job you wouldn't dare to do This ain't no green screen movie, don't compare the two We look at your actions in the elements And everything relevant if they line up Prepare to pay the consequence You do dirt, you get cussed. no bluff It's ignorant to think we will shoot with your hands up if you the police you feel the world is against your life. Every call you go to, people trying to tempt you. Well, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary. I ride on the devil, I ain't scary, and I ain't worried. You want my life? Come take it, it's gonna be a fight. I take it to the light, like Will and Bright. I wouldn't expect you to understand what I do, only the thin blue line, cause they baptized them blue. Uh, I'm a fighter, I'm a winner, never quit. I refuse to lose, I got hard and I got. I'm a warrior,
3: just been baptized in blue. I'm a warrior, just been baptized in blue. I'm a fighter, never win never quit. I refuse to lose. I got and I got dizzy. I'm a warrior, just been baptized in blue. I'm a warrior,
0: just been baptized in blue. I can't explain the pain when I see a name on the wall. All I feel is rage, put me in a cage. Sometimes I can't help but cry, like why right, did he die? I know it was him, but it could've been I, could've been I. Could've been I. What about the kids, Oh uh, what about the spouse? Yeah, now who gon' put food inside them babies' mouth? It's a bigger picture when the officer down Domino effect, Blue Nation, family country and town The media don't cover us huh. Well, maybe Fox, cause MSNBC and CNN Surely don't care about cops Politician more concerned about protecting the legal Instead of laying the law down And protecting the people Let me get off my soapbox Before I curse, I don't see Way too many cops riding in hearse Well, I wouldn't expect you to understand What I do, only the thin blue light Cause they <laughs> In blue, uh, I'm a fighter, I'm a winner, never quit. I refuse to lose. I got hard, I got grit I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue, I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue, I'm a fighter, never winner,
3: never quit. I refuse to lose. I got heart and I got greasy, I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue, I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue.
0: If I'm faced with a mission, I'm gonna complete it. If that means being deleted, I live with the credence, I do this for the combat, there's LEOs when I'm suited, ready to go. It's either friend or foe. Only Lord knows what my future's in store. I only kill with the hope to see more. So God don't close that door. If I take a life, it's here or me. With the hopes to survive, not good tree. I go in situations that you cannot imagine Deal with things that you cannot fathom No it's but, so rather I'd rather fight for cause than live for nothing So when you read my headstone, you know I died for something You hypersensitive, she complain by justified force You blame the cops first, that don't work You blame the courts, but I wouldn't expect you to understand what I do Only the damn blue line, cause they baptized in blue uh, I'm a fighter, I'm a Never quit. I refuse to lose. I got heart and I got grit. I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue. I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue. I'm a fighter. Never win. Or never quit. I refuse to lose. I got heart and I got grit. I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue. I'm a warrior. Just been
3: baptized in blue. Uh.